What is up, podcast listeners? It is I, Sam Shorky, podcasting alone, kind of, alone for the recording of this intro, I should say, but not exactly alone because I am doing something different this episode, guys. Sarah's not here, but I am bringing on a very cool, very different, and very taboo style of interview with a guest in our podcasting space today. It's actually a client of mine. I think she started working with me back in 2018, and I actually didn't learn until very recently what she does for work. And the only reason I did find out about her risque occupation was because she had sent me this picture of, quote unquote, her new workspace, which was this like massive, really sexily lit, super posh looking nightclub-y type dungeon. And I immediately thought, what the hell am I looking at? Is this chick an interior designer? What, what, what is this? And she is not an interior designer. She is, however, a professional dominatrix. And the image that I was looking at was her dungeon where she does all kinds of kinky things. I think I'm going to provide you guys a picture of this so you can see what her dungeon looks like in the show notes for this episode. But yeah, I thought with Valentine's Day right around the corner, why not do a sexy style of podcast with somebody who knows a hell of a lot more about sex than I do. Her pro-dom, that's professional dominatrix, if you guys aren't familiar with the the fetish BDSM terms. Her pro-dom name, yes, folks, is Estelle Sinclair. And like me, she is also 40 years old and aging like a fine wine. I'll also include a photo of how fine she is looking on the show notes. But she's also been vegan for decades. I think she said since she was like 19. And despite whipping and beating her clients on the regular in her day-to-day work life, she is such a kind kind, loving, and brilliant, wise soul. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to our interview. So let's not waste any more time and get to it already. But I did also want to warn you right now that in true Sam Shorky, meatless meathead, moron style, I somehow cut off the recording mid-interview. So do not be surprised at the abrupt conclusion to our chat. But you can be rest assured, my vegan brethren, that I alone will come back on to properly end the episode with you. I'm just not singing a song or doing a Patreon prize giveaway because, well, Sarah's not here and she has all the names and the bucket for those draws. Oh, but I am meeting Sarah in a couple of days to work on the next Jacked on the Beanstalk podcast episode, which is all about muscle density versus body fat for all of you health and fitness peeps who listen and have zero interest in being dominated or dominating your partner. So you guys can look forward to the next episode. In the meantime, for all you freaks and perverts out there, enjoy this very sultry podcast interview with Estelle Sinclair, professional dominatrix. Welcome to the Jacked on the Beanstalk vegan podcast, hosted by the Shorky Sisters. Repping the vegan hippie meatheads of the world is Sam, the first ever vegan world naturals bikini pro, coach, author, and blogger who's got an ass that's out of this world. 
repping the busy, tired moms of the world is Sarah. And her ass is, well, mediocre. Together, they're on a mission to live with purpose and unlock the mysteries of a healthy mind, body, and spirit. So grab a seat in the back of Sarah's minivan and enjoy the ride. All right, guys. Well, we are here with a very exciting interview that I'm not really sure how you guys are going to interpret this because we are very much a health and wellness lifestyle vegan bodybuilding podcast. But the cool thing is that my client Estelle is vegan and she's super fit and she's even competed And I helped prep her for a show back in 2018. So I definitely want to hear all about her vegan journey as well. But let's get right to the interview. First of all, welcome Estelle onto the podcast. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your career and your education background, which is also fascinating, and how you even ended up in this career and actually maybe first tell us what exactly is your job? Like how would you describe your job to somebody? I'm a professional dominatrix. I provide fetish and role play interactions or psychodramas for people who have kinks or BDSM interests. And um, I construct scenes for them. We play them out over a period of hours. And that's how I make my income. And is this usually sexual? It is always sensual, rarely overtly sexual. And now tell us a bit about your education background, because you are basically a therapist for a lot of your customers or clients. I call them clients. I went to university for gender studies, uh, which used to be called women's studies. And my area of interest within that was human sexuality. And I went to IU, which is um, Indiana University. And at IU is the Kinsey Institute, which is a, a research center for sexuality created by Alfred Kinsey, who wrote the, the first books on female sexuality and human sexuality in, in men and women. And they actually do experiments and research with people. And so I volunteered my body and my time for a lot of that while I was in college. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Once your curiosity is peaked, you just start trying to find more and more and more information. But unfortunately, I didn't really have a computer until I was like 22 because I'm an old lady now. So it's... we are both 40, everybody, 82. <laughs> yeah. And we both look amazing for 40, let me add. Okay, so what kind of experiments were happening with you in university that made you think, I kind of want to dominate men? I'm not sure if there's a very clear correlation between some of the stuff that I did there, which I, I can barely remember all of it. But one of the experiments was inserting some sort of like pressure reading bulb into me and watching different kinds of porn. And like it was measuring, I guess, contractions and the porn switching. So it could tell the researchers what kind of porn that I was responding to. Anyway, I don't know if there was BDSM porn in this, who knows, but it made me just think about all of the different things that turn different people on. And so I started to get involved with 
with, well, I started to kind of search around the internet and try to figure out some things and people that I could see and play with and experiment with. But aside from that, my first real interest was peaked when I was a teenager and I received, I bought an album by the band, The Cramps. They're like a rockabilly, psychobilly band. And on the cover of this album was Betty Page. Do you know who Betty Page is? Betty Page. And she's in one of her BDSM scenes that she took photographs in. And I just thought I want to be her, whatever, whatever she's doing. I want to be her. I love this aesthetic. I love how powerful she looks. It looks like she's having fun. And so that kind of stuck in my brain. And then all of these things kind of got put together when I started getting on the internet (laughs) and found these sort of, I guess there was Craigslist. There was Backpage at the time and people would post ads like I'm looking for someone's feet to rub. And so that was like baby steps for me. Okay, I can make a little extra cash. It was more about the actual turn on of it. That's what sparked it. It wasn't ever something financial that kind of just naturally happened. All of it. It was just happened to be a perfect storm. My interest in sexuality and especially um, alternative sexuality, my interest in um, the aesthetic. And then also I'm in college. So I'm like, sure, why not make a few extra (laughs) and like kind of experiment in a way that I felt at the time was safe. I guess you were doing this independently. This was like after class, I'm taking my book bag. I'm going to... To meet someone somewhere and they want me to piss on them and I'm going to get 150 bucks. And I was like, this is cool. And I was always intrigued speaking to them and asking about like where this came from and why they're interested in it and just learning more and more. So after I finished college in Indiana, I immediately started looking at Craigslist again or Backpage, one or the other, and found an ad for a house, a domination house, which is like a commercial establishment that has many doms and subs working, looking for a dominant. And I applied and I was accepted for an interview. So I flew up to Chicago and interviewed. I got the job. And then that summer I moved to Chicago. And that was actually not until I was in my mid late twenties. Before that, I was just dabbling. I was playing online a little bit. But then after college, I was able to get this gig, moved to Chicago, worked at the house for a year and change, really developed a good, strong clientele base and learned a lot of technical skills and then went independent on my own. Now with these dom, what do you call them? Domination? Um, Yeah, we just call it a house. Yeah. And you said there'd be doms and subs. So this is interesting. So can you explain to everybody what is a dom versus a sub? And I didn't know that people would also hire submissive. Yeah. So um, a dominant is the the party that is controlling the scene, who's guiding and leading and enjoys that. And then the submissive is the person who's enjoys being guided and led and enjoys giving up control. Have you ever been the submissive? No. So I have to ask too, because you're also married. I am. And if you're not comfortable talking about the stuff, you don't have to, but I'm curious in your marriage is the role you are still dominant or do you feel like me in my job where I feel like I'm in such a dominant role being a coach and, you know, come on, give me 10 more sort of thing that outside of work, I prefer to be the submissive usually because it's a nice change of role. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel like that. I think a lot of men feel like that specifically. My partner is not interested in BDSM or power exchange in any way. Very egalitarian, vanilla, 
relationship people. I would say he's more alpha for sure. And I appreciate that, but it's honestly not something that's important in my, in my vanilla relationship, because I have this really incredible outlet with my work. Totally. I completely get that. That's cool. It is. Okay. And so people would hire a submissive, like if it were some, I don't know. I find that one more strange than hiring a dominant. There are very few submissive women that work professionally because it's so dangerous. We're really gathering a very different kind of clientele, a dominant man. Obviously there are dominant men in this world that are kind and considerate people who are interested in consent but there are also men that are not. So we only had a couple at the house and they just, it's not something that just get that gets hired a lot. Like, honestly, it's, it's mostly doms. Okay. Interesting. That's what I would have figured. Yeah. So what exactly is BDSM? I know we hear this term a lot, but to be honest, I didn't even know fully what it meant until I researched for this interview. So the B is for bondage. Um, D is interchangeable. And can you explain each one? So bondage meaning you're like tying people up? Exactly. Yeah. Bondage um, means being restrained in any way, ropes or leather or saran wrap or by someone else's body or whatever else. And then D is interchangeable for discipline and for domination. We spoke about domination. Discipline can be anything from putting someone in a corner and forcing them to hold a penny to the wall or spanking them over your knee, any kind of real discipline act. The whipping them. Whipping would fall under sadism and masochism, which are the S and the M. The S also is interchangeable for submission. And sadism is when someone enjoys inflicting pain on another person. And masochism is the reverse of that. Someone enjoys receiving pain. Fascinating. Good way to describe it. Okay. So (laughs) I'm totally picturing you in like a fake leather, obviously fake because she's vegan, guys. But I'm picturing you in like the full little like cap there with the oh, there's a cap. <laughs> What's that little like motorcycle? Oh. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing with like the the choker, pleather <laughs> choker collar, and like the full on like baseball bat or the whip in your hand with thigh high face yeah. again, faux leather boots. Like, is that realistic or am I just completely making an assumption? Yeah, some somewhat. I'm really drawn to the, there's a very traditional aesthetic that's, you know, a corseted, tall, statuesque woman, like very curvy, strong features. And I think that's super sexy. Everybody has their own style, but yeah, that's the archetype for sure. I mean, obviously when, as we get older, like we're more drawn to comfort. So my style tends to be a little bit more easy these days. I have, you know, a pair of shoes that I always wear for sessions that I really love that are comfortable for me. And, um, I not, they're not five inch stilettos. They actually are, (laughs) but I've been wearing them for so long and they have a good platform and a good insole. So I can wear them for many hours at a time which is came in handy when I got on stage in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the stripper heels for our stage competitions. Right? Very similar. 
And I think a lot of the stage shoes you buy are from like those like stripper type stores, right? Absolutely. That's what it is for sure. <laughs> that's funny. It's it more comfortable. Yes, you're more the corselic. And it's funny you were saying about Betty Page because yeah, that's of course what I'm picturing as well. But how you described looking up to her is how I felt about Jamie Eason. And we probably were about the same age, like early 20s kind of thing. And she was, I don't know who, if you know who she is, but like one of the first ever like fitness models and she was just jacked but like very feminine and just so beautiful to me and and I just thought that was the most gorgeous woman I'd ever seen in my life so I, I can completely understand where you were coming from back then with the Betty page so let's talk separating and I know you said it's very separate uh in your marriage which you call vanilla I don't know if your husband would like to hear you calling it vanilla but explain to me, like, is it kind of an alter ego that you have when you are in dominatrix mode? Like, do you suddenly, because I even feel that way as a trainer, like I suddenly shift into super, come on guys, let's do it. And it's, it's a role that you are essentially playing. So I would imagine it's very similar when you're at work. It is. It's just me tapping into my inner lioness. Like that's just a facet of myself. And it's a facet that I don't get to show all of the world, all of the time. So it belongs in one spot in my life, which is in my dungeon usually, but it can also be employed to help me be really direct and set clear boundaries and, you know, communicate more effectively in business. And how a- does your husband feel about you? I, I'm assuming there's never any sex or anything like that with these people, but like, where do you kind of, I guess, get, run us through how a typical session would go down. Ooh, is there a typical session? <laughs> so what is what the you- most common, the most common client? A most The most common client is someone that's interested in pretty traditional classic BDSM themes, bondage, impact play. And what sen- is impact play? Impact play is any kind of instruments that you're using to strike someone, whipping, flogging, paddling, caning, but also sensation play of other types. So oftentimes people like to be restrained and then sort of sensory deprived outside of touch which is really fun. And with that, you can really touch the body in a lot of different ways that are painful or erotic. And it's always a surprise because you are wearing earmuffs, you're wearing a blindfold, sometimes a hood. Your body is either encased or it's restrained in some other way. Because isn't the other senses become heightened when you take one away, correct? Correct. That's right. So yeah, I would like to know what a typical session, like how long you, you mentioned earlier, you sometimes spend hours with these people. So three hours, I mean, how are you managing to get your six meals a day? in if you're, <laughs> as your coach, this is what I want to know. Yeah. You're, yeah. You got me on the spot now. <laughs> my sessions are, they used to, I used to take hour long sessions. Now my minimum is 90 minutes, but I like a two hour session. I think that's a really good amount of time to play. It really depends. If somebody's got one interest, we only need an hour and a half. If they've got multiple interests and I can do a ton of different things with them and never run out of ideas or be able to creatively spin things, then I can spend all day with them. But definitely more more likely than not, I'm getting two and three hour sessions these days. There's always a solid hour or maybe hour and change cleanup 
in between sessions because sanitation is so important in these kind of environments. And I just want, but also enough time in between to disconnect from one person and get ready to connect to another person, which you probably do as well. I was just thinking, yes, absolutely. Okay. So with cleanup, of course, now I'm thinking bodily fluids, like is, do these clients expect that they will be having orgasms, even though you are not technically having sex with them or whatever? Is that kind of part of the process? It's really across the board. And it's part of our pre-scene negotiations. Every time I see somebody new that I haven't seen before, and I don't know what they like, we go over whether or not they'd like to release in the session and then how, how that's possible to happen. So yes, there are fluids <laughs> around. And exactly. do you kind of feel like my job is not done until <laughs> a release has happened? Sometimes it's a really nice crescendo to the scene because it kind of pops a bubble and sometimes it's inappropriate to the scene. Like it just doesn't feel right. So it's up to the client though, unless they want it to be up to me. And then it's really still actually up to them. Totally. Well, it's all mental, right? So with you mentioning, you know, having two, three hour long sessions, of course, I'm now thinking to my own sex life, which is pretty pitiful right now for the record. But I always think, wow, two, three hours, that's a long time to be playing as you call it. (laughs) You must think that people nowadays, their sex is boring. Like it should, you should be able to prolong a sexual, sensual experience to last several hours. Or what What do you think about that? I think that, yeah, but it's also, it's a luxury and it, it's, it's candy, you know, it's not something that you need all the time. It's something that helps people decompress. It's something that people utilize as self-care. And I like in BDSM sessions sometimes to the luxury of going to a spa because you would spend two or three hours getting a facial, getting a massage, relaxing, having somebody put all their full attention into you and focusing on yourself and what your needs. I really feel like BDSM sessions can be self-care and it's not something that you need all the time. It's a, it's a maintenance check-in, you know, how often would a typical client see you? My clients are very regular. I mostly see people once a month. Sometimes people come just quarterly, sometimes once a year. I have a couple clients that I see multiple times a week when I'm in town. So I live in South Florida and I play and work in Chicago. So um, when I fly to Chicago to work, which is usually about every other week, I sometimes see the same people multiple times, but those are, those are few and far between. And those are people that I've known for, you know, 12 plus years. So you have loyal, and I'm guessing you have clients who you prefer more than others and definitely favorites and the people you dread. (laughs) And you know, what's wild sometimes I'll have a session with somebody who's brand new and they're so stoic. Like they don't say a word through the whole session or react to me in any way. And it breaks my heart because I'm like, oh no, I didn't, I didn't give them what they needed. Like they didn't come away from this, but then that person I'll start to get like all kinds of insecurity and negative vibes about it. But then that person almost always Sam will write me the most heartfelt, sweet, appreciative letter afterwards going through their whole session and how they felt. But it's just that people communicate differently. So sometimes I have to allow people to develop a relationship with me before, before we really catch our stride because it's a weird place. 
Oh, totally. I'm sure people are are so nervous. And it's funny you say that because you should read a book. It's a very short book called The Four Agreements. And two of the agreements are don't make assumptions and don't take things personally. And I had to learn this. I did a whole podcast about this actually in my own business because people would drop off the face of the earth. And I would always think it was me. Oh, I wasn't a good coach. The plans weren't working for them. And then after a few years, I would realize they would always come back or they would, they'd reach out and say, Oh, I felt so bad that that you were ashamed of me. And you were that, that I, I couldn't stick to the plans and I was a failure. And here it was me beating myself up them all along. So the world would be such a better place if we could all just stop making assumptions and then automatically taking everything personally, right? Because yeah, they more than likely, I would imagine your clients are just like shitting their pants. What the hell is happening? I'm so turned on and I'm so uncomfortable or whatever, <laughs> yeah. right? Maybe they're, they're taken aback by your beauty, right? <laughs> so, okay. So do you deal with, with couples as well or? I do. And couples are really some of my favorite people to play with because number one, it's just the more the merrier in a scene sometimes. But also it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to be such a special element and a special little treat in their relationship. And oftentimes I get to be sort of the communication liaison because how it's typically worked for me, I know it's different for other doms. Some doms see a lot more couples than I do. I would like more couples in my life. So here I am putting that into the universe. Yeah, there you go. If there are any vegan (laughs) couples listening, we've got a hot vegan dominatrix. She wants you. Free time with me. I mean, they pay for some time and then they get some free time. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I love them. The couples, oftentimes it's the man that comes to see me on his own usually within the consent of his wife. And then later on, he brings his wife and we all play together. And typically it's me co-dominating the husband with the wife. So I have the opportunity that's really cool to teach the wife how the husband likes to be interacted with in this way and teach her not only professional and safe ways to do the things that he's interested in, but also allow her space to ask questions and feel comfortable learning and be vulnerable with me. And it's just, it just feels fucking great. It must be very rewarding to be able to see their marriage strengthen and then explore something totally new and exciting that, you know, without it, maybe their marriage would have gone down a very different path. Right. Right. Yeah. I respect that decision to do that so, so much too. You really have to be secure and you have to be communicating at a super high level to be able to allow that to happen. Now, I'm I'm so curious because actually I did a podcast on farting once and a young 20, very early 20s boy reached out to me and said he had a farting fetish (laughs) and he really wanted to pay me $500 cash. He apparently worked at a high-end restaurant and was going to provide all the vegan snacks and drinks. I'm not sure what that entailed, like raw broccoli or carbonated beverages or something. But he wanted to, he kept saying, nothing sexual. I just want you to fart in my face. And I thought this was so fascinating because I would say most men don't hit their peak filth bucket, dirt bag level, I like to call it in technical terms, until about 35, I would say. So I'm curious, first of all, do you work with guys that young? Because I was, it was such a bizarre fetish that I was more fascinated by where would that come from for such a young guy 
And have you encountered strange requests like this? Yeah, definitely. So to your first question, my clientele is getting younger as I am getting older, which is so interesting to me to see that shift. When I first started, I was seeing, you know, men in their 50s, 60s, almost into their 80s sometimes. Now my clientele is more so 30s, 40s, 50s, and sometimes in people in their 20s, but often men in their 20s, unfortunately, when it comes to this stuff have been brought up on BDSM porn and BDSM porn is not just like vanilla porn is not real life. BDSM porn is also not real life, you know? So they have expectations that are beyond my capacity and my boundaries. And sometimes they're really flaky because they get excited. They write the notes, they fill out the form and then they beat off about it. And then they ghost, you know? So it's, it's, they have some very severe post-nut clarity, and they cancel appointments or, you know, don't give whatever. So there's that. And also please fart on this man for $500. <laughs> I mean, we're vegans. We know what will do it. We know how to do this. We're fiber heavy. <laughs> but I just, I was so bizarre. Like, yeah. Why wouldn't he hire somebody in that profession or whatever? Like, is that a, a, a request you would fulfill? I- I have sincerely only gotten that request one time in my life. And it was somebody who did weekend appointments with me. Like I would spend a whole weekend at his house and he would feed me. He took really, it was very domestic servitude style, but the thing that was his sort of punishment pleasure was me laying on my tummy, watching movies, eating, and him sort of like propped up between my legs from behind, like praying. Okay. On him. He asked you to fart on him. That was his fetish, hundred percent. Yeah. So it does exist out there, eh? Oh, yeah, it does. There are actually a lot of people who like um, full toilet training, which is being shat on. It's not something that I offer because I don't like the idea of somebody else controlling my bowel movements. Or no, I don't think that shit is sexy. So it's not something that called scat play. Scat. Mm -hmm. Yes. There are a lot of doms that do that and they make a lot of money doing it because you can charge a premium for pooping on someone. Fascinating. So so what, what, uh, I'm guessing the farting on that guy was up there is one of the weirdest ones. Any other ones that come to mind that are more funny and entertaining, I guess. So one of my favorite things to do that's pretty funny and entertaining is a fetish called splosh. It's also called gunging or wham, wet and messy play. And um, what that entails is getting fully coated in some kind of sticky, slimy food substance most of the time. They're getting covered or you? Both of us or just them. I am unique as a dominatrix in that I really enjoy splash. I really enjoy being messy too. It's not a sexual sensation for me. It's a sexual sensation for them most of the time, but it's a really disarming, freeing, funny, silly situation for me because I'm, I tend to be really type a and really in control and like everything's perfect all the time. And so if I get dressed and ready for a session, I've 
Like I'm here today. I'm wearing makeup. I'm wearing my jewelry. My hair has been straightened. And then someone hits me in the face with a pie. It's hysterical. And also I get to let go of everything. All of a sudden, all of the artifice that I created to reflect my brand in that moment is out the window. We're giggling. We're making a huge mess. And then we're covered in like five gallon buckets of cake batter or whatever it is. So how would you even set this up? Do you have like kiddie pools? Yeah. So sometimes there are kiddie pools. Oftentimes I will just like Dexter everything out and get tons of plastic painter sheeting and cover everything wall to wall with it. And then I make sure that I've got little hospital footies. So when we're finished, we can cover our feet, walk to the shower. There's a method to it that you get used to over time, but it's really a lot of heavy setup and heavy cleanup, but it's super fun in the moment. Also one of those things that I can charge a premium for because it ruins me for many hours, you know, I have to like build Estelle back. Just even flat ironing and blow drying, washing your hair. That takes precious time too. And it's so silly and goofy. Yeah, I think that would be fun. And I wanted to go back to asking about the young guys is I know you were saying that they are, are flaky, which I completely understand that. But also about the whole that when we were younger, we had to, you know, use dial up internet and like, you know, wait five minutes for one picture of tits to download. Whereas now teenagers have access to everything. And like you said, it's now this porn culture where they see all this really intense, hardcore pornography and then expect that this is normal. And I even notice this with online dating where guys immediately are like, oh, show me a picture of your ass. And they just expect that I'm going to have sex with them on date number one. And it's just shocking to me. But I think this is what younger girls are doing nowadays because times have changed so much. So what do you think about the porn industry and how it is affecting men today. And I'm sure you see it firsthand. You know what? I honestly don't know. I don't know if I can speak on that with a lot of knowledge because I only see how the porn industry affects BDSM clients. And even then it's, it's just what I perceive. I'm not sure if there's hard, I'm sure that there's hard data on it, but I haven't seen it. I just know that oftentimes when I'm interacting with a much younger man, they're very flippant about my screening protocol which is very important. And that's a human connector. That's a thing that's like keeping me safe. Like, let's really talk about this. And they also sometimes script out these really older men do this too. script out these really detailed, specific things that they want me to do to them. So it's clear that they're, they're going to waste my time and I don't answer those emails or those communications. But I think that that speaks to the culture of porn that they're growing up on and the immediate gratification and the disconnection between them and whoever they're interacting with for it. So yeah, I think that's what it is. And do you think it's a good thing that nowadays people are so much more open with sex and it's so normal now, all these things and all these different fetishes, right? That I think yeah. in some ways it's it's a good thing, but then it's also a little scary in other ways. I think it's great because it creates community around stuff that you might feel really isolated for. There are so many people that are just now coming out as 
against kinky people because there's now touchstones in media and in social situations. People can say, oh, well, did you see that scene in Billions? Or my wife was reading Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a terrible, we won't get into that. It's a terrible <laughs> relationships. But I think it's good for us to have more access to more understanding about BDSM and especially sex work. For this interview, I was asking guys that I know, how do you feel about being dominated in bed? Would that turn you on? And and I would say it was about 50-50. Half of them were like, yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm all about it. And then others were, no, I need to be the dominator. Is that pretty normal? Or, would, or do you think everybody secretly wants to experience domination? Or do you think it's healthy for every relationship to do an exchange of power? Yeah. I like the way you said that. I feel like every relationship should just play around with roles and see what feels best because you really don't know until you do it. With As with anything, you don't know how it feels until you do it. And I kind of think that anyone could get into the really freeing nature of being completely under someone's control within your own boundaries. I would certainly do a BDSM session with a woman. I don't know if I would do a BDSM session with a man. But if I said, I'm not interested in pain, I'm not interested in tight bondage, but I'm interested in sensation and service and like maybe appealing to my praise kink or whatever. I would do that because it feels great to have someone's full attention on you. And it feels great to have someone's hands and body on you and feel caressed and sort of cared for in that way. I know that sounds like a real departure from what we think of as BDSM, but it's certainly a part of it. And I think everybody could benefit from just letting go and trusting someone to take care of them. Now, do you think that having confidence plays a role in this? Because I feel like a lot more guys would be open to getting into a submissive role if they're genuinely a confident man in themselves. Like, I think if I were to step into my dominatrix shoes, it would be exciting to be that dominant, you know, alpha female, but that comes easily for me. Whereas I feel like for a lot of women, that would be like torture for them to have to even even pretend to play that role. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a very secure person to get that vulnerable with someone because most of us are always holding tight to how we want to be perceived and never kind of breaking outside of that. I think it makes you a more confident person being in this job. Sure. Absolutely. I think I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. My confidence these days in my job is in knowing that I can communicate with someone well enough to really get to the root of what they want and deliver that. And then I can create an atmosphere of trust where someone can really feel fully vulnerable with me and gain something from that. So that means a lot to me. Yeah. And I think that it plays to my feelings of confidence for sure. Yeah, I would think so. And again, it's going to that whole alter ego. Like I think I would have to like put on my confident suit as I'm lacing up my little motorcycle hat with the (laughs) choker chain. Why do you think, because Estelle actually mentioned in an email, and this is how it kind of all started, that she thought that I would make an excellent dominatrix. And this was fascinating to me because I've heard this before. And I even once had this man years ago, email me 
saying that he wanted to pay me to dominate him. And I was like, what? Like, who? Like, and he just went all virtually. Like he was telling me to tell him to do stuff. And I was like, all right, you're going to donate $2,000 to the animal charity of my choice. And then he just got weird. And then I just stopped emailing him back. But clearly there are other people out there who this. So I, I'm just curious because I always think of myself as being more the submissive one in bed that where does this come from? You would be such a wonderful dominatrix because you're a direct communicator. You know what you want. You're an entrepreneur. And I feel like you've just got the foundations as far as being a confident, empowered woman. And then the added benefit of being really hot. So it's money in the bank, baby. Well, you know what I was thinking, and I'm curious because you are vegan, that hunting season was just recently here in Ontario. And that's what made me go vegetarian at eight years old. So like, it's a cause that's very close to my heart. And so I grew up with a ton of hunters. I grew up in the country. I know a million of them. And even online dating, I swear, I always match with the hunters because I like more tradesmen type guys, I guess. And I was saying, you know, if I ever were to be a dominatrix, I would seek out the hunters and the whole act would be just beat the killer right out of them. Yeah. So you if know, I start an OnlyFans, that's going to be my specialty. There would be people for you. I mean, this world is full of very interesting men who have very interesting angles. And one of the cool benefits of being in the position that I'm in is that I have certainly influenced the lives of these men who are real reverent of women and worshipers of me. They have changed their diets and their habits because of me. I've had real heart to hearts with people about veganism and about animal rights, usually after the session when we're decompressing, we're doing aftercare because I know that they're empathetic and compassionate people. They just need somebody to tell them what's right and what's wrong and somebody that they admire and that they respect. So I use that space where people are very sort of oxytocin is high and empathy is high post-orgasm. Oh my God. This is like a whole side business we could start. (laughs) I definitely have clients that have went vegan for me and that's part of my legacy. I will never let go of. That's super, super special. And how long have you been vegan? For about 19 years. Oh, wow. My story is so similar to yours, Sam, because I grew up in central Indiana around a bunch of hunters. And when I was 10 or 11, and I always was an animal lover and everybody always knew it. And when I was 10 or 11, my uncle was like, oh, I have a surprise for you. Come out to the garage with me. So I went to the garage. He opens the door. It's dark. And he flips on the light and there's a deer hanging upside down, fully gutted down the center, like innards coming out, tongue out of its mouth. And I just hysterically started crying. I have goosebumps thinking about it. From that moment, I connected food and animals and I went vegetarian at 11 and then vegan at 21. Oh, our story is very similar. That was the exact same thing that happened to me, seeing three dead deer hung up in the garage of one of my friend's neighbors. I still picture it so clearly to this day. And I I told my parents that night, I'm not eating animals ever again. And I was vegetarian for 20 years before I went vegan in 2011. That's incredible. Who knew? I mean, these hunters are already making little vegans. They don't even know it. They're not even trying. That's wild. And you would think that nowadays it would be one of those 
sports, if you want to call it that, that just like dies out. But it, unfortunately, it's not. I feel like it's only growing out here for some reason. But yeah, because they're trying to depopulate or like call the herd or whatever. Just controlling the deer populations. Like let nature do it. Actually, that was the last podcast we did was all about hunting season. But I did want to ask. So I'm sure everyone is dying, myself included, for some tips of how we can all at and even the guy that I have a date with uh, later on tonight was saying, oh yeah, get lots of tips, even though I haven't even had sex with him. But give us all some tips on how we can dominate our partners in a sensual, sexy way. So there are so many directions that I could go with this. And I was thinking about it a lot. And I think the first thing is start with your foundation of confidence. So whatever ritual you need to do to put on your sexiest Sam. And for some of us, for me, like that's grooming and makeup and like putting on the outfit or for you. Fishnet body suits, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Which can be very sexy. (laughs) Getting that together and putting on your whatever, your lotto or your Nicki Minaj or whatever, Otis Redding, whatever thing gets you excited and then get into it. But as far as actual technical things that you can do when you're alone with somebody, my favorite thing to tell people to employ is the very simple act of blindfolding them. And a blindfold doesn't have to be some like leather specialty thing that you get from a sex shop. It's literally your eye mask. It's your sleep mask. It's a handkerchief, whatever, because blindfolding someone forges vulnerability immediately. And the vulnerability begets trust and the trust begets intimacy. And it's just a really easy barrier to break down immediately. They're no longer thinking about how you're looking at them and how you're responding to them. They're only inside themselves and responding really authentically. And then also for you as the person who has is the dominant in the situation who has blindfolded your partner, Not only do you get to be really creative and watch them respond and touch them in different ways, I would say stay out of the genital region completely for as long as possible, because that's amazing. Especially men don't get touched in a lot of different ways. Like women get a lot more caresses and touches than men do, but they love it just the same. And it's just the same kind of foreplay. So the blindfold also kind of allows you a little bit of an out because if you are looking for something else to touch them with, like some object that's going to create a cold or prickly or whatever sensation that you want to employ, you're not feeling insecure looking for that thing or adjusting your bra or whatever you're doing. You know, you have a little bit of a buffer for your next move because they're not watching you intently waiting for you to respond. Well, and I I like this idea because if you are a bit insecure or self-conscious about being the dominator, then I think even just taking away their sight almost allows you to feel a little bit more comfortable with the situation because they're not watching what's your next move. Exactly. Exactly. I employ blindfolds a lot. It also helps people get into subspace because they can kind of, they shut off their brains a little bit. They just are waiting for the next sensation. So I would definitely employ some sensory play and you can DIY this in any way. You can put a spoon or a fork in the freezer and drag that across someone's skin. You could use soft things, your fabric that you've got that's satin or nylon stockings or like whatever you, ha- I mean, your hair, your hair can become an amazing sensory play tool, your fingernails, and just literally from scalp to toes, 
people crave touch and it's such a turn on, especially when you can't see it coming and you don't know what's going to happen to you. But avoid the crotch, right? Avoid the crotch, but except, I mean, obviously like you'll get there. You'll get to that. But how long would you say you could tease them with the blindfold and the fork prongs until the crotch touching? (laughs) (laughs) As long as you want. Like I say, since you're the domina, you do it until you want to fuck or you want to whatever. (laughs) And just like that, it was over. Because Zoom screwed it up. Or maybe I did something during the recording. I'm not sure. Whatever the case, sorry about that technical glitch. We did have a lot more cool stuff to talk about, but I guess it's gone forever now. Nevertheless, I hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Estelle. And if you want more from her, you can absolutely follow her on Instagram or Twitter. She is under the handle Chicago Dom. That's Chicago D-O-M-M-E. Regardless, I will include a link to all of her socials on the show notes for this episode, including the page for her dungeon, which she actually rents out. Maybe I should host a Jacked on the Beanstalk uh, retreat there. What do you guys think? Anyway, I know she is always happy to connect with new vegans and any potential new clients. So if the whole BDSM fetish intrigues you, or perhaps you and your partner want to spice things up this Valentine's Day, definitely don't hesitate to hit her up, especially if you're in the Chicago area. That is it for me for this week, guys. Oh, and one very important final question. What do you guys think? Should I become a professional vegan dominatrix preying on hunters as my clients? Leave your opinion in the comments section of the show notes for this episode at none other than jackedonthebeanstalk.com. Until next time, kids. Happy Valentine's Day. Shorky sisters minus one. Out. 